you might not be familiar with this man's name, but I'll tell you a short story about someone named George Balch, B-A-L-C-H. He was a rear admiral, a rear admiral um, out of the Civil War, okay? And he had a strong passion to teach kids patriotism and loyalty to the United States. One way that he set out to accomplish this would become known today as the Pledge of Allegiance. His original composition is dated 1887, and this is what it said. Listen up. It says, we give our heads and our hearts to God and our country. One country, one language, one flag. His thought was, he looked at the school districts in New York specifically, and they had an influx of people from all around the world, and he said, I want to help them understand the country that they're coming to, the values that we hold, that we are one, regardless of whether you're rich or poor or whatever, regardless of your national heritage, wherever you come from, now you're part of us. And so he wanted to kind of reinforce that understanding. Our pledge has undergone some changes, though, over the years, and if I challenged you this morning with some trivia and asked you, you could all probably recite the Pledge of Allegiance. It says this, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I started to think about that pledge. Today, I'm not sharing with you a patriotic message of any sort or talking about anything having to do with politics. I'm just using it as a launching pad or a diving board into the deep end to help us kind of get in our minds the understanding that when we've stated the Pledge of Allegiance before, we do call it the Pledge of Allegiance or the Flag's Pledge, but we're doing it for something that's more than just a piece of fabric. When we put our hand over our heart in this country, there is this recognition from those who are around you that when you're looking at the flag, it represents all of who we are. I love the language that's inside of it because it says, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And then it says, and to the republic for which it stands. So I started thinking about that and I started thinking, you know what? I think that would make a wonderful title to a message talking about faith that I pledge allegiance. I have not just prayed a prayer at an altar when I was five years old or asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, but I should truly pledge allegiance to this new king. I used to be king. There's an enemy who's trying to be my king, myself as well as the spiritual enemy of God and his people, but there's one rightful king that deserves our allegiance. So listen to how Paul puts it when he writes to the Philippians in chapter three, verse 20 and 21. He says this, our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So I begin to think about how is it that we, we, we have to get that understanding in our minds because we don't live in that reality as often as we should. I'm speaking for you because I know it's true about me that I don't live in the reality all the time, that I am a citizen of heaven and I'm an alien here on earth. Some of you may look at me and say, yes, you do have alien features. No, I am an alien. Earth is our temporary home. 
We tend to think about that when we're parking in the parking lot of the funeral home. When we're going in to pay our respects or to say our goodbye when we're there supporting and comforting a family, or when we think about something hard coming and we think, you know what, that's okay, this earth is not my home. If something happens to our personal belongings, like our home gets a fire or a flood or something, we have this, all of a sudden, this hard charge in our heart. You know what, doesn't matter, uh, this earth. But do we think about that in the everyday average thought of this world is not my home? And I have pledged allegiance to a king and a country that is not here. And it's my duty as a royal subject to be able to live in that kingdom, to obey the king, and to do what he's asking me to do. Which would involve rescuing other people and bringing them into the kingdom that I'm in. Scripture is clear that Christ is the king of all believers who love and obey him. So if you're a believer, then you are one of his royal subjects. Royal subjects are to be loyal and to have allegiance to their king. I want you to have that imagery. We don't have a king these days. We don't live in a country that has a king. Most countries that have kings, they're just diplomatic sort of faces. Uh, some of them are tyrants, but a lot of them just kind of look the part and everybody else does the work behind the kingdom, okay? So we've lost touch with what it looks like, but I want you to understand it in this way, that in those days back then, royal subjects had to pledge their allegiance to their king, live within the confines of their kingdom, do what the king instructed or what the government instructed, and they were going to live under either the blessing or the curse of obedience or disobedience, okay? So when I think about that, I think, yes, there are people who have taken it to another level, another direction. There are people who have become tyrants who have done that. But here's the thing. God is not an evil tyrant. This message is for two people today. The person who's a believer who needs a challenge in their faith and in their walk, and the person who may never have said yes to Jesus yet and never have pledged allegiance to him. But we've done ourselves a disservice, and I've been part of that. I humbly apologize, and I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit, even in these last few days, that there have been times where we have simply at least come across like, hey, all you have to do is just say a prayer, and it's done. But we've not really showed them they've got to change their allegiance. There's a work of the heart that only God can do with permission inside of the human heart, and he does that as we pledge allegiance and we continue to follow him. We follow him into life, into battles, into victories. We sing songs about him being victorious. We are victors as well because he is our king, so we get to share in that. So this message is for the saved and for the searching. I want you to walk away with a challenge in your heart as well as with possibly a change of your heart today as we think about and evaluate this big question. Am I living like a subject of the king who I claim? 
Now, this isn't a guilt message filled with, oh, I can't believe you did that this week and you didn't share your faith with that 30th person, but you did it with, we're not picking apart or separating, parsing out little tiny things. What I wanna ask is I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this morning, is my faith truly demonstrated in my allegiance to the king or am I just living and showing up at church? Am I just living and maybe reading my Bible once or twice? Am I just living? But here's the thing. I think that we have a problem in our church and in every church. And it's even in my heart, that temptation to be hands off, uncommitted, loosely committed, with no strings attached. But when we talk about faith and when we understand what Jesus is calling us to, he says some very, very earth-shattering things that are revolutionary during his ministry. If you love your mother, your father, your brother, your sister more than you love me, you don't love me enough. That's pastor's paraphrase. I'll read you the verse later in the message. But that's the point. He's saying you need to pick up your cross every day and follow me. So, but, but God, I thought you were gonna pay my bills. <laughs> God, I thought you were gonna make everything rosy. God, I thought my marriage was gonna be perfect. God, I thought that if I just signed up, I'd have, so we have this misunderstanding of what faith in our spiritual journey looks like. I wanna challenge you today to reframe your thought about the word faith within the context of the Bible and our theology. The Greek word that is used many times in the New Testament, not that you care, but I'm gonna tell you anyway, is pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11 defines it like this. He says, now faith, pistis, is the underlying substance, which is another Greek word, hypostasis, toward which hope is directed, the conviction of the things not seen. So we've heard this phrasing before in different versions of the Bible, but I've, I've looked through several different versions and tried to piecemeal together the best framework for us to look at, and that is faith is the underlying substance toward which hope is directed. There's a substance underneath me. Mandy, you spoke about it in worship this morning. When all else is failing, when everything is falling apart, I've got to believe that God is somewhere in the work. I've got to have something to hold on to, and that something does not waver. He does not change. He is never ending in his love and in his grace. He wants the best for us, and he wants to walk us through every hardship. He doesn't say that we're guaranteed to not have them. He wants us to walk through every one of those while holding firmly and tightly to him. So let's talk about some things that faith is not because I think when we talk through different things in the Bible, we need to understand what they're not in order to reframe it and understand what they are. So the first thing is this. Faith is not the opposite of evidence assessment. Think about this for a minute. I didn't have a better way to word that, but I, I wanna challenge you to just think through that. Genuine faith in God doesn't ignore the relevant evidence at hand, but he believes God in spite of it. Faith shouldn't make you a liar. Now, some of y'all probably need some sugar this morning to choke this down in a second, but if I'm, I'm in a full body cast, I'm not walking in my healing because I'm in a full body cast. 
Okay, it's okay to laugh in church, right? So we have some people who have kind of given it a bad rap and said things like that, but in reality, they've got six months of recovery ahead of them. People who have lied and said, I'm healed and I'm walking in my healing, when they're clearly not, they're giving the rest of us a bad name. My father, he just had another surgery This is almost a full year that he's been dealing with acute pancreatitis. He's a man of God. He shared his faith. He has done all of God's work that God has asked him to do, and yet he's still walking through something I would consider a fire. He's still in the midst of that, and we're still praying for healing. Can I just say something with a doctor in the room today? Find a doctor and pray. Both of those things work together, okay? We're not talking about not taking medicine or not seeing medical professionals. We are just simply saying this, and I'm sorry if I get charged up over this, but I've just been burned by some some dumb people before who have just done us a disservice. Yeah, you thought with that pause I wasn't gonna say the word dumb, but I said it anyway, okay? True faith continues to follow God and believe in him as a healer, even if I'm not experiencing healing. Because I know that I know that I know. The word of God is full of testimonies of healing. I've seen it in my own life. I do have questions. I wonder just like you, if, if we're gonna like lay out the balance scales and say my dad is way over here, weighted down with all kinds of good deeds. He's served in the ministry of the church. He's done all kinds of incredible things in the name of God, yet God hasn't healed him. I could get mad. And I could say, you know what, God, you're not a healer. Or I could say, you know what, in his perfect sovereign plan as the king of all, he's chosen at this time not to do that. And I've got to be okay with that. My faith in him is unshakable because he is unshakable, but I will be shaken. We will be stirred. We'll be having problems in this life, but true faith continues to believe in God even in the midst of not experiencing the fullness of his promise. There has to be an acknowledgement of our need in God's presence. There has to be that place where we say, God, I need you even if he hasn't responded or replied just yet. God, I need you to heal my father. God, I need you to heal my marriage. God, I need your help in my finances. God, I'm gonna continue to believe you for my son or my daughter to have faith in you. God, 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 because we're acknowledging our need for him because you don't got this. Amen? Come on, somebody said amen. You don't got this, okay? That's not good English, okay? Number two, faith is not a blind leap in the dark. I wanna help you today understand really what it's like to have faith. I want you to hear me when I say true faith is not an irrational launching out into the void, but it is a reasonable action-oriented response that's grounded in the conviction that God's invisible underlying reality is more certain than my current reality. 
So let me say that in a way that you can understand. It's not an irrational launching out into the dark, unknown abyss for no good reason. God doesn't, can I just say this? God doesn't want stupid kids. <laughs> I mean, am I on a roll this morning or what? I mean, this is, yeah. God, he wants intelligent kids. So you gotta think through it when we, if, mm, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay. If we're not careful, we might imagine the men and women in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 leaping blindly into the dark. But this is not what they really did. The people who are listed as examples for us were willing to act decisively in the visible world, not for reasons that were immediately apparent to them, yet even more so, they did it because God called them to do it. I think we've been guilty of saying, well, you just need to step out in faith. I mean, you just need to turn the lights off and climb up on a hill and just dive off and see what happens. But here's the thing. Abraham was able to walk into that mountain, walk up that mountain with his son Isaac and lay him on an altar because he had already established a relationship with that God who was a promise-making and promise-keeping God. So he had faith because God's word commanded him. So I want you to get it in our minds, get it in our spirits, that it's not just blind leaping into the dark, but it is our response to the call of a promise-making and promise-keeping God with whom we must have relationship. I am sorry for the times that you've been hurt because you've stepped out or someone has told you to step out in faith and you fell flat on your face and you thought, where is God? There are times when we do step out in faith, when God calls us to and we get bruised, but we just end up looking more like his son who was bruised for our iniquity, who we then have the character of Christ in us. I, I've had hurts in my life. You have had hurts in your life where you could just sit there and blame God or blame others. But what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do today is he wants you to start on a fresh page understanding what faith really looks like. The same God who miraculously provided Isaac to Abraham and Sarah is the same one who miraculously kept him from being sacrificed that day. And can I say this? If you've got all the answers and all the solutions, then you don't need faith. You don't need to trust in a God who created the universe who can help you through it to the other side. If you've got this, and if you're convinced that you've got this, but I, I have a feeling that here today we, we come to the reality that we don't got this. So we're not to leap out in the dark on a whim or just to prove to ourselves or to God or to others that we have faith. But it is possible that the promise-making and promise-keeping God we serve may call us to act on a reality that is yet invisible to us. I'll share with you a brief story. It, you've heard some of it. Some of you may have heard before the story. But we took a step of faith and obedience from New Jersey to go to Hawaii to pastor a church there. 
We were there for a short term, and then we came here. We needed faith to get us there, and we needed faith to get us out. We needed faith to rest in the downtime and in the season in between and not knowing what God was going to do. We needed faith to trust that he was going to heal our hurts. We needed faith to trust that he was going to bring us to a place of blessing and abundance. And can I just tell you right now, I'm struggling right now in my faith. What? (laughs) What? Pastor, you get paid to have faith, right? Right? Every day in our lives, we have the opportunity to believe God and to trust him, to trust that he is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do. And that opportunity must not be shirked or thrown to the side with our own solution to try to figure things out. It must be a time where we dedicate ourselves to asking God, for his help in every area of our lives. Number three is this, and this is really important. Faith is not the opposite of works. Take a deep breath, because we're gonna dive in here. Too long, people have pitted faith and works against each other as opposite paths to salvation, saying that one is successful and one will fail. But faith and works are not in opposition. They aren't mutually exclusive. They're actually mutually inclusive. They're dependent on one another. And I feel like those who are nodding their heads might understand this. But can I say it plainly? Anti-works people sound straight up lazy. (laughs) The people who are like, no, God did it all. I don't have to do anything. Just going to sit on my couch. No, you don't. You have to serve. You have to be part of the family. You got chores to do. We've got a walk and a journey to accomplish. We're heading somewhere. There's jobs to be done. That's the whole thing about heaven. You are not just going to be sitting on a cloud floating around. There is stuff to do because we're part of a family. But let me say it like this. You are a spiritual creation and faith is a spiritual action. Works are the natural outflow of that spiritual decision and action. So listen to me, there is a chronology. Faith does come first. When you're reading in the New Testament and you hear them talking about, it's not about works, it's about faith, you've got to understand they're talking to people who were previous Jews who followed everything of the law and thought that was their ticket in. So the reality is true. You can't just show up to church and write a big check. Okay, you can't just show up to church and put something in the offering and shake a hand and go home and check off the box. That's not going to get you there. Grandma's not going to get you there. Your own relationship with God is what gets you there, but faith comes first. Relationship gets built and then works are performed. How many of you know your love language? One of my love languages is sarcasm, as you can see. Um, No, but one of my other love languages is definitely acts of service. I'll just be vulnerable for a minute. Sometimes I'm okay spending time with you, but I'd rather you do something for me. A little giggle. My wife is holding her applause right now. But I would like you to do stuff. So the sweetest words in the English language that my daughter has uttered recently are, hey, daddy, can I get you something? Oh, I just melt into a puddle. I don't even know what to tell you, but sure, get me something out of the kitchen or whatever. Because it's just, she loves me 
and she's responding to my love and she has a natural action that comes forth. So we've got to think about that like us and God. It's because we love him, because he's changed our life and our heart that we then sign up to host a small group or we sign up to serve in a certain place or a certain time, that we help in some way or some function in the body of Christ, that we give to those who are in need. It's because we love him and his love has changed us that we do stuff. How many of you, uh, let's do this. Everybody close your eyes for a second. This is not prayer. I just want, close your eyes. How many of you have ever been mad that someone didn't do what they said they were gonna do? Raise your hand. Okay, don't nudge your spouse. Okay, put your hands down, open your eyes. That was almost everybody in the room. God is calling us to do something about the faith that we have. Think about faith as an action verb, okay? Works don't matter without faith, and faith isn't really faith unless it's being acted upon. So if you say you have faith, you would better have works because our faith is demonstrated by our works. Now listen to me. You say, wait, pastor, you say you're gonna tell us the full gospel message. Here it is. The verse that gets used out of context quite frequently is the one that says, we are justified by faith and not by works. What is justification or justified? Being justified would be being made right. So we can't be made right with God because we've done something like write a check, served, painted a room, served in our community, helped someone in need. We can't do it that way, but we can be justified by believing that Jesus Christ paid for our sins and he's all we need. That wasn't loud enough. I'll go faster if you get louder. Romans chapter three, verse 28, it's on the screen. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. The reason he's writing this to the Romans in Rome, he's telling them that the stuff you've been trying to do to check off boxes is less important. God wants your heart. And I'm telling you in today's day and age, God wants your heart, but he wants your sweat too. You say, well, pastor, is there something to be done around here? Is there some soapbox you're on? no. I'm telling you because I believe with all my heart that the fullest function of the body is to work together and Christ's body ought to be doing something. Christ's body should not be a couch potato. You can tweet that. Romans chapter four, verse two, skipping forward, it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. (laughs) God is like, so what you did that? Who cares? He could have that attitude, but he's a a nicer guy than that. If you're justified by works, then Abraham could tell everybody, hey, you know what? I'm going to heaven because I did this and because I did that and because I did this and because I... But that's not what it's about. So we're not justified by our works. We're justified by by our faith. But works is the natural outflow of our faith. Go to Philippians chapter two. It'll be on the screen here. Verse 14 to 26. This is a big passage of scripture, but it reads like a dialogue. So let me just jump right through it and you listen along. 
What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the thing needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Can I, can I break that down for you? He, he's literally saying there that if you think that it's only about having faith or believing Even the demons do that, right? So then it says in verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. My goal today is not to preach a message based on you got to do more stuff and it's not based on you just have to have faith. I got to have faith, faith, faith. I bet you could slap the bass on that one. It's not either or, it's both and. So we've got to evaluate ourselves. I believe this is what the Holy Spirit would want you to do today is to evaluate yourself, not comparing yourself to Abraham, not comparing yourself to the person sitting next to you, but asking this question, if I've pledged allegiance, is my life really showing that allegiance? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So the next thing is this. Faith is not simply optimism or wishful or positive thinking. Um, I can't count how many times I've heard in a movie, like, you know, every kind of movie that has like trauma in it and someone walks in and says, everything's gonna be all right, just come with me. And you're like, no, it's not. Their spouse just died or it might be something that's gory or it's got other tones in the movie, but everything is not all right. Everything's not all right in your life either. We try to make it look like that, but the truth is it's not. If we think that faith is simply just having an optimistic attitude or wishful or positive thinking, we have it wrong. Maybe it's not going to be all right. Maybe my father still has a long road to recovery. Maybe that person is going to pass away before we think that it's their time. Maybe things won't work out at the new job or with the new boss. Maybe, but in the midst of all of that, God is still the firm foundation that we can hold on to. The truth is that genuine biblical faith is not just airheaded positive or positivity. Um, 
I was at a teacher store with my wife yesterday. She's getting ready for school to start. Um, how many of you are excited? Yay. Okay. Uh, some of you are like, yes, the kids are going to school. Um, but we were in there and I walked in the hallway to where the restroom was and I saw on the, um, saw on the wall one of those positive motivational sort of things. And it said um, something along the, the, the lines of thinking that you'll win is the first victory. And I thought, that's really cute. That's not true. Hard work is how you win. Killing the other guy is how you win. Making the more, you know, and I thought to myself, it's not just about positive thinking. I want you to know that we're a real church (laughs) that talks about real stuff. And if you're going through a hard time, I believe with all of my heart, this is the place to get prayed for. This is the place to lock arms with someone and to say, will you help me? walk this out in my faith and in my life. This, God wants his body to be functioning in that way. So we've talked a lot about the things that faith is not. Let me give you one thing with five points that faith is. Faith is allegiance. The kingdom of God is ruled by a king and his name is Jesus. All believers have become royal subjects in that kingdom. The point that I want you to walk away with today is that just simply praying a prayer is not the end-all be-all to salvation, but opening your heart is the first step in a lifelong journey. The reason why I believe with all of my heart that God put this message on the calendar and for you in the room today is for you to check your allegiance. Evaluate it and ask, Holy Spirit, Am I living a life? Am I sharing my faith like I ought to be? Am I giving and tithing like I ought to be? Am I leading at my job like I ought to be and you've called me to be? Am I serving like I ought to be according to his word and according to his precepts? So opening your heart is the first step in a lifelong journey that we ought to understand. And this is why we talk about our journey groups being so important because we don't want you to do life alone. Jesus began his ministry with a call to repentance. We've talked about this recently, but repentance means the changing of one's mind or its purpose. So in terms of the kingdom it involves, the first thing is when we come to Christ's kingdom, we have a change in our allegiance. If Christ is the king, he deserves our honor, our loyalty, and our obedience. So we put ourselves under his authority and his power. Whatever he says, we determine to do. That's the point of the phrase in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because I'm subjecting myself to his work. So we've got to understand that it's a change of our allegiance. And there's a fight because you want to be aligned and have allegiance only to yourself. The enemy knows that if he can get you off in another direction, having allegiance somewhere else, or trying to split time in two kingdoms, that he can get you off of center, and then you'll be following the path of least resistance. So it also requires a change in one's expectations. One of the difficulties that people have with the idea of the kingdom is that it doesn't appear to be in place yet. This is the Jewish people during the time of Jesus going, yay, you're coming in as our king. You're gonna slaughter the enemy and change everything and do just the thing that we want you to do. And yet it didn't really happen according to the way they wanted it to to happen. And the reason why we look at it like that, we understand he did come, but he's coming again. 
It's already, but it's not yet. It's not yet fulfilled in its fullness. So the hope of the kingdom is that there is far more to life than what we see right now. Jesus made extraordinary promises about his future kingdom, not only for Israel, but for all who would take him as the king. So the third thing it does is it gives us a change in our values. So if we have pledged allegiance to him, it changes our values. Our culture values achievement, success, independence, perfect image. But the values of the kingdom reflect what matters to the king. That's why it's opposite day, every day with Jesus, because Jesus says, oh, you thought you'd be the first? No, you're gonna be the last. Oh, you thought you could get there this way? No, you're gonna be other place. Oh, you thought, and he's, he's switching it around all the time because it, it, it's a different culture. So are you trying to fit Jesus into your culture of your house, your family, your country, the things that you think are important, but maybe not taking his into consideration. Kingdom people adopt the king's values. The next thing it changes is our priorities. The real test of people's value is how they spend their time and their money. The things that I spend my time on and my money on speak to my priority. And Jesus spoke directly to that issue in terms of the kingdom in Matthew chapter six, all throughout chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. He doesn't demean the value of work or diminish the need for material goods. He just says this, seek me first and I'll handle it. Check your allegiance. Are you still walking in that place where you're seeking first the kingdom and letting him add all the rest and worry about the outcome? The last thing is this, it gives us a change in our lifelong mission. Some people are driven to accomplish great tasks with their lives and others live aimlessly from day to day, lacking purpose and direction. Jesus affects the outlook of your life. He gives us purpose and a mission. He wants you to find your purpose in the body of Christ. We wanna help you find your purpose in the body of Christ. What do you mean clicking on a computer or checking sound or setting up lights or helping with babies in a nursery? You mean that can be part of my life's purpose? Yes, God wants those things accomplished because he wants others coming to the kingdom. So as soon as they get here, when we say, hey, we'll take your baby so you can focus in on the message and listen to what God wants to say, that's the incredible picture that God is trying to drive home about us working together and being on mission. Can I just ask you, ask yourself this, are you living on mission? Not just out there, within the body of Christ. There's a clarion call to allegiance throughout the Bible. Luke chapter nine says this. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The call to discipleship then is still a call to discipleship now. And I don't know about you, but I thought about it like this for the longest time. When he says those words, take up his cross daily, I thought, surely they got that messed up. <laughs> or surely they just mean this one thing. No, if you're carrying a cross, it's pretty comprehensive. It affects every part of who you are. And Jesus says, I want every part of who you are. If you ask me, it sounds like total allegiance. 
Luke chapter 14 says this, great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. So therefore, in verse 33, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I think about the story as the worship team joins me. I think about the story about the guy who comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I've done everything. I have checked every box. Just want to let you know I'm reporting for duty. And Jesus says, just one more thing. Why don't you go sell everything that you own and come and follow me? There's the thought that he walked away sad and grieved in his heart because that was a tall ask. That was a big deal. I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit has been at work in your heart today and that he is going to continue to do his work right now. If you have any need in your life or in your home, in your heart, we wanna pray for you. 